Luke chapter 9, as we continue in our series, Cliff, The Cliffhangers of Christ. And uh, just the reading of this text is going to cause some of you who have been with us at Sailorville for some time to think, wow, didn't we look at this text one other time? And the answer is, yep, we did, not long ago, but we're going back to it, all right? So here it is, verse 57, at the very end of Luke chapter 9, where, where we read, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you. Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. True enough, last year we did a series titled Jesus' Hardest Words. I preached from this text. And we titled that message, Don't Look Back, um, based on the last verse no man who puts his hand to the plow, looks back, is you know, fit for the, the kingdom of God. But it deserves another look. It certainly finds itself in this cliffhanger series. What we're doing in this series is this. We're looking at several accounts in the narratives throughout the Gospels in the life of Christ. Where he encounters someone, gives them a challenge, and then we're just sort of left hanging. We're not told what the individual does with the challenge. We're not told whether he repented, whether he gets saved, whether he obeys God, whether he, in this case, follows Christ. In fact, in this case, we have no less than one, two, three cliffhangers. You get three individuals all coming to Christ, and they're all give, they all give a response. They all seem very sincere. Jesus responds in a very, in some, and at least one case, very harshly. Maybe two of the three is like, holy smokes, Jesus, let off a little bit. And yet, in every case, we're not told what they did with this challenge. And we have, we have submitted to you from the very beginning of this series that the reason the Spirit of God did this through the inspiration process was so that you and I, because all Scripture is profitable, you and I might insert ourselves into the text so to speak and ask ourselves where we fit in this so for instance when Jesus says to the first one you know who says I'll follow you wherever you go he says foxes have holes the birds of the air have you know they they've got nests but I don't have anywhere to lay my head we don't have this guy responding by saying I got it Jesus I I got it I will follow you I'll go where you go I'll stay where you stay I'll sleep where you sleep if I got to use a rock For a pillow, I'll do it. We don't have that. Or in the case for the second guy who Jesus actually challenges and says, you follow me, and he says, I'll do it, but let me first go home and bury my dad. And Jesus says to him, let let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. We don't have this guy responding by saying something like, boom, you nailed it, Jesus. You saw right through me. You knew that I, was, I wanted to go back and inherit my dad's fortune so that, you know, if this thing doesn't work out, I'd have something to fall back on. But now I've seen the light. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to cut the ties. Or in the case of the third one, 
who comes to Jesus, which just seems the most reasonable. You know, hey, I'll follow you, Jesus, but can I just go home and say goodbye? And Jesus says, no one, no one who puts their hand to that plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We don't have this guy coming back, you know, saying something like, oh, gee, there you go again, Jesus, singing right through me. I love my family more than anything else. In fact, I love them so much they're a distraction to me. And you see that. Not anymore. I'm cutting ties with the family. I'm walking straight with you. I'm cutting a straight line. We don't have a response. Every single instance like this, we're left hanging because you and I are being challenged in this text to place ourselves in there. I agree with Bob Deffenbaugh, a pastor down in Texas, who writes, in each case, the commitment to follow Jesus seems sincere. And the level of commitment looks acceptable to the reader. Would you agree with that? Doesn't it, though? And then he finishes, and I agree with him. I fear that I would have approved the application of each one of these men. I've been there in uh, interviews of potential missionaries. And I've seen some great interviews, and I've seen some outright flops. I, I watched a, a, a potential missionary stumble over some of the simplest doctrinal truths only to be okayed for the mission. And I would just appalled myself by it. I can't imagine what Jesus thought. Imagine being a missionary wannabe. You know, throughout the interview process, the interviewer is asking questions that just sort of is spot on to your deepest motivations and just, you know, making you just crawl through the whole thing. That does happen from time to time. It certainly happened whenever Jesus encountered people. I was in a Bible study with someone just the other day, and I was an evangelistic Bible study, and I, and I, I as a husband and a wife, and so I, I didn't even know these two, so I just, you know, so I didn't know them. I said, let's just pretend your wife is an angry person. And I started to describe her anger, and she's like looking at me like this. And she looks over to her husband like she thought I'd interviewed him before I said anything. This is what's going on here in this passage of Scripture. This is what's going on. Jesus is cutting to the quick, and he's getting right in there. One more thing. Every one of these men, in one way or another, expresses their tie to the home, to the family. Ties of ease, ties of money, ties of emotion that Jesus and he makes no apologies, says, must be broken. They must be broken. We don't like to hear that in our culture. We have, a, we, have, we have taken the family to the highest heights in the history of mankind. To a place of worship, even. And none of us will admit it. Amongst, in Christendom, husbands worshiping their wives, wives worshiping their husbands, parents worshiping their children. And it's all about the children. It's all about the marriage. It's all about our family. Well, I got news for you. It's not all about your family. As important as our families are, as precious as they are, I think, to some degree, our families have become very, very cultic in our own generation. So what you have here with the first encounter is the comforts of home versus... The conditions of hardship. Have you ever seen that uh, M&M commercial? 
You know which one I'm talking about? It's this one right here. And I would do anything for love. Oh, I would do anything for love. I would do anything for love. But I won't do that or that or this. I think a lot of us can relate to that commercial. I will do anything for Jesus, but I won't do that. What is that? What is that? That's the question, isn't it? Jesus gave this evaluation of these seven churches in the book of Revelation. If you'll recall, he comes to Sardis. And he says to them, you have a name, you have a reputation that you're alive, but you are dead. Have you ever read that? The only evaluation that really counts when it comes to a church is Jesus's. It doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks, but what Christ thinks, right? And reputation and reality are sometimes very different. I think the simplest definition of a hypocrite that I've ever heard is somebody who's just not himself. Perhaps a word is in line here with grandiose statements of faith. This guy comes to Jesus. Hey, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. Everybody hears him say it. In essence, Jesus says, really? Let me identify something about the home in your life. You love the comforts. He says, I'll follow you wherever you go. He, he had no problem with Geography, he was concerned about what happened once they got there. Jesus says, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests. What are holes to a fox? What is a nest to a bird? It is their home, is it not? It's their home. Translation, I don't have one. Are you okay with that? What comes to your mind when you think of home? When I think of home, I think of comfort. I think I go back in time to my childhood. I think of my mom and dad. I think of 115 Locust Street in Waterloo, Iowa. I think of going back to that. I think of my room. I think of the family get-togethers. I think of Christmases. I think of eating together. I think of coconut delight cookies. Nobody in the world has ever been able to make that since my mom. She's gone now, and nobody will ever make them again. That's home to me. All the comforts of home. Comfort. And yet when we read scripture and we read the gospel and we read people encountering Christ, we see him constantly ripping us from our comforts. Remember the classic account of Paul's conversion. We, many of us have read that in Acts chapter 9. But right after he's saved and he's sort of blinded, God encounters, Jesus encounters this man named Ananias. He says, Ananias, I want you to go. I want you to lay hands on Paul, give him sight. Ananias says, hey, you don't know who you're talking about here, Lord. This is the guy who's been persecuting us. And Christ responds with these words. He says, go, for he is, that is, Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer. For my name's sake. And so it would be the Apostle Paul who would come back around and speak at Antioch 
a few years later and say, it's only through great tribulation that we will enter into the kingdom of God. Did you know that? It was the Apostle Paul who had said to the believers at Philippi, it has been granted unto you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. It is the Apostle Paul who wrote to Timothy, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's not the things we like to hear, let alone read. But that's true. Hardship. If we think we can iron out every wrinkle, every struggle, every potential fail before we follow Jesus Christ, then we're not ready to go. The call to discipleship is not one to comfort. It's one to hardship. There has to be a willingness to walk away from the family comforts that so many of us are enjoying even at this moment. The second encounter is the contrast between the cushion of the home and the cost of discipleship. So this guy really doesn't say anything. Actually, Jesus points him out and says, hey, follow me. Oh, okay, I'll do that. Um, let me first go bury my dad. And then Jesus comes back with these caustic words. Let the dead bury their own dead. You follow me. And proclaim, you go, proclaim the kingdom. These are strong words, are they not? I want you to notice something here about these, these uh, the, the last two guys. There's something very similar to both of them. Notice in verse 60, I'm sorry, verse 59, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Later on, this guy comes and says, I'll follow you, Lord. But let me first, I'm looking at verse 61, let me first say farewell. Let me first. In both cases you have that phrase, let me first. Notice that in both instances, the intention and these last two guys, the intention is to eventually follow Jesus. Catch that word, eventually. Someone says what they're talking about is following Jesus when... Following Christ if, and following Christ after. These two men fully intend to be our Lord's disciples sometime and somehow, just not immediately. Unquote. I'll serve Jesus when the kids get a little bit older. It's not real convenient right now. I'll serve Jesus uh, when the work slows down, when my, my, when my folks are gone, when the monies are coming in. Just keep adding to that. Jesus' response seems harsh, even hurtful, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Let the dead bury their own dead. Wow. You're not talking about just an employee or a friend. This, the guy's dad. I want to go home and bury my dad. Let the dead bury their own dead. You come with me go proclaim the kingdom. Now, most commentators think this is this guy's probably a firstborn he's looking for that two-thirds inheritance that he's going to get and you know just wait a little bit longer my dad will die i'll get that it'll be the thing i can kind of fall back on 
in case this doesn't, you know, all pan out. I was thinking about, what was Jesus thinking when he said to this guy, let the dead bury their own dead? Remember, he's seeing what, he's seeing his heart, just like he's seeing your heart, just like he's seeing my heart. I wonder if he had Abraham in mind. Abraham, who did not shrink back from offering up his son, from killing his son. Yes, killing his son. His only begotten son. Yes, his only begotten son. In order to affirm his love for Jehovah God. Is, I mean, is, is Jesus saying, you're so concerned about the preparations for your father's death, and following me means you're preparing people for eternal life. What's more important? One of the deepest and most important costs of discipleship will be your willingness to walk away from the cushions of life. Yes, even family ties. Remember the guy who invented the slinky? We talked about that one time. Remember that? The guy who invented the slinky, God saves the guy. Because although he made multiple millions, you know, he just was spending it like a prodigal. He was, he was suicidal. He, he comes to Christ becomes a missionary, gives everything away, goes down into South America, but he's still miserable because, unbeknownst to anybody else, he brought the patent to the slinky with him. Just in case it didn't work out. And when he finally realized that this was a cushion he could no longer hold on to, he threw it into the sea and got rid of this patent. And he had freedom. That patent really was, rather than the cushion, it was more like a bed of nails to him. He just didn't realize it. There is a cost to becoming a disciple of Christ. Jesus said, no man builds a tower unless they first what? Do what? Counts the cost, right? If you're willing to pay by giving up the cushions you're relying on, the benefits will be deep. Is there... A family cushion right now in your life that's keeping you from following Jesus Christ. The third one really gets to our heart here. The third contrast is the care of the home versus the cutting of a straight furrow or path. This is the guy who comes to Jesus and says, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go, but let me just you know, say goodbye to my family. This request seems completely reasonable. But Jesus' answer reveals how inextricably tied into his family this guy is. So much so that Jesus sees his tie to his family as an utter distraction to him. I just thought of this. When we went, before I came to this church, I had lost a wife, married another, looking newer every day, honey. <laughs> and yet, we were 25 minutes from her former town, her former church, her family, her friends, everything that meant anything to her. And to her children. 
And it was a constant distraction to us. Until we came here. When we came here, it was like, it got cut. It wasn't that she stopped loving her family. It wasn't that she stopped loving the the former church or her friends or all that were back there. But she was able to cut a straight furrow. We, as a family, were able to. Because emotionally, we had to cut the ties that were constantly dragging us back. Boy, I hope I remember that in the second message. I didn't write any of that stuff down, honey. But I think C.S. Lewis got it right when he said these words, never let your happiness depend on something you may lose. At my dad's funeral a few years ago, all nine of us kids, all nine of us gathered around the casket and we closed the casket together very slowly. It was a really sobering moment. As As we're closing this casket We're closing the lid on the lap I sat on, the hands that held me, the hands that beat the snot out of me from time to time when I deserved it, the hands that, the mouth that supported me when I wrestled. The only voice I ever heard in a crowd of 2,000 people was my dad's. The personality and passion for life that I inherited from him, all of it. Boom. And it was a very hard thing for us nine kids to do. But I sensed it was a lot harder for my, some of my other siblings. It was hard for me. I shed tears. But 20-some years earlier, my dad and I had a very, very candid conversation. I had given my allegiance to Jesus Christ to follow him wherever he would lead me. And my dad knew in no uncertain terms that our relationship would never be the same. I would always love him, and I would always honor him until the day he died. And to the best of my knowledge, I did that. But it would never be the same. The heart connections were never exactly the same. Nor can they be. When you truly follow Jesus Christ, the picture in this passage of Scripture, is obvious. It was understood. No one who puts their hand to the plow, looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Today we might say, no man driving down the road while texting on his cell phone is fit for the kingdom of God. Same thing. Not meant to convict you because it actually convicts me. Bad things happen. You know, we, we did a data search on the church. We've got about 1,100 people that come to this church. 1,100? Where are they all? Well, 1,100, one time or another they come, you know, sometime during the month or maybe over a couple of months period of time. I ran into one of them at the farmer's market the other day. Hadn't seen him for a long time. The family had taken priority. And uh, nice-looking family, and, and the mother presented her child to me. She said, look, this one was born during your series in Genesis. I wanted to say, that was like two years ago. <laughs> it 
to be honest, it looked like a fairly happy family. All wrapped up in themselves. When family worship becomes the worship of family, bad things happen. Bad things happen. The patriarch Jacob, remember him? He's one of the, all the sons. Remember that, 12 sons? And you remember the story of Joseph? And you remember how, I mean, if you, if you study the life of Jacob, it's basically a very miserable life. You don't see a very happy guy there. He's a deceiver right out of the chute. Deceives his way all the way into his adult life. Then he gets deceived. Anyway, one thing leads to another. He gets a couple of wives, and he starts having kids. Finally, the wife of his dreams gives birth to a kid, Joseph. And then another, Benjamin. And many of you know the story. The brothers are jealous, and for good reason. What they do is they sell Joseph down into bondage, down into Egypt under Potiphar. And he's there for years. As far as Jacob is concerned, his son is dead. And he is inconsolable. Remember that? And then through a series of circumstances, God creates a famine. The brothers go down there. They face their brother. Unbeknownst to them, it's their brother. Some 13 years, give or take, have taken place. They don't even recognize him. He looks like an Egyptian. He recognizes them. Starts playing games. And then, through a series of circumstances, remember the brothers that went down there, they didn't bring Benjamin, right? Remember that? Jacob wasn't about to lose another, another favorite. But Joseph forced Jacob's hand. The brothers came back. They brought Benjamin. Joseph set up a little ruse His cup was found in Benjamin's bag. Joseph said, you go back to your father. This one stays here. If you remember the story, Judah, Judah steps up. Look, look, you you just can't let this happen, okay? You can't let this happen. I don't know how this all happened, but you can't let my little brother stay here. Take me. I'll stay. I'll be your slave. Let him go back. You can't because his father, I know you've never met him, but his father, well, look what he says. Look how he describes Jacob. He says, his life is bound up in the boy's life. That sums it all up right there. Judah says to his brother Joseph, you can't let my little brother stay down here because his dad's heart is so tied up in his life he'll drop dead if he finds out he doesn't get to come back with us well that's of course the rest of the story Joseph can't handle it and he just reveals himself after that but that was Jacob's problem throughout his whole life he worshipped his kids above Jehovah God and was constantly getting in trouble for that reason I don't want this message to be perceived as one that says, gee, what is pastor doesn't think you should love your family. If you think that, you are not listening. Let 
But when Jesus says a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things in which he possesses, he wasn't just talking about material things. It includes family. Love your wife. Love your husband. Love your kids. But don't love them more than God. Don't love them more than Jesus Christ. He is Lord, and he must be Lord of your life and Lord over your family. If you make your family Lord, bad things are going to happen. And I don't know what that means. I just know they will. Because you've created an idol. And God says, I will not share my glory with anyone else. And so... What home comforts are you willing? I'm sorry, what home comforts are you unwilling to give up to serve Jesus? What home cushions? Are you unwilling to give up to serve Jesus? What home care, affection? Are you unwilling to give up to follow Jesus? Following Jesus Christ begins by a heart surrender to what he did for you. His merit for you. His suffering for you. His death for you. His resurrection for you. You embrace him and all of his gospel, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and he is yours. But when Paul says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, what he really means is that we are confessing that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. We're not just taking him as, he doesn't come piecemeal. Savior today, Lord tomorrow. That makes no sense. I understand that the ramifications of the gospel are progressive. I get that. I start to grow. I understand my, the importance of loving Christ more than my car. Loving Christ more than my job. Loving Christ more than my family. But it's a package deal when you trust him as your savior. He becomes your Lord. Is he? Is he?